Hey all you cool cats and kittens, HBO boy James, and I'm here today to talk about the new DC show, Stargirl. I guess, well, this, it was an interesting way that they're doing this. So the, the episode comes out the night before on the DC Universe streaming service, uh, and then the next day it comes out on the WB, which I guess since I left America has been changed to the CW, which to me is a, a terrible rebranding everybody knows Warner brothers i don't know what cw stands for content warning it's the first thing that comes to mind anyway this is the new superhero show on the cw and i guess it was so the way that works with the dc there's like a few different so with the mcu you've just got the mcu right and the movies tie in to the shows and they're all one thing to talk about that briefly uh the mcu shows not great fine just fine good not great all of them are too long 13 episodes, too long. I liked Jessica Jones. Uh, Daredevil's fine. Punisher's fine. Luke Cage was fine. Iron Fist was horrible. Right? But that's what they've got going on in Marvel. And in DC, everything is, like, somewhat self-contained in that the movies are their own universe. And then there's a, a another universe based on, like, the Green Arrow and Flash TV shows on the WB. And I've never seen any of those. I understand that they're kind of like mid-tier budget shows uh, that really did find an audience, though. I guess they're pretty popular in their own right. But then there's a separate WB continuity of shows that's like the Teen Titans and Doom Patrol. And I have seen a little bit of those shows as well. Also fine, not great. Uh, and I thought that this show, Stargirl, was going to be in the Teen Titans continuity. But I guess these characters already had a cameo on the flash and so it's in that continuity but even in that universe it's established they're in their own separate dc universe right so this doesn't take place in a universe with the flash and superman and supergirl this is its own thing and what attracted to me and what attracted me to this show initially was the cast because you've got joel McHale and amy smart and lou ferrigno of all people it just seemed like a really grab bag screwball list of people that would be in a show and so I was pretty interested to see it and it was not what I expected this first episode at least but let's talk about it so episode one of Stargirls begins 10 years ago there was a golden age of superheroes and and now it's over and and actually that 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 title screen devolves until it just says 10 years ago so establishing the next scene, I thought that was clever. Luke Wilson is tearing down the street in L.A. in a classic convertible. I don't know cars. Maybe if you know cars, this is probably some iconic car. I'm not sure. Anyway, I like Luke Wilson. I should say I like the Wilsons, generally. Luke Wilson is the younger brother, I want to say. If he's not, he really should be. Of Owen Wilson, who's a bit more talented and a bit more handsome, and a bit more funny, and is usually in better movies. But maybe that, that's kind of a reason to like Luke Wilson, right? Because he's the the Luigi to Owen Wilson's Mario. And he does, he kind of has like an aw shucks kind of look all the time, which plays into that persona. So anyway, he's shooting down the street in his convertible, and he's on a CV, and he's trying to contact Starman, who's in the middle of some battle we can hear uh, over the radio. 
And he's saying, I'll be down there. And Starman's like, no, don't come. You're too much of a loser. You'll get your ass kicked if you come down here. Luke Wilson arrives at a mansion on the outskirts of town. And it's glowing green and exploding. He runs over and there's a downed superhero in the middle of the front yard. And it's too late. He's dead. You know, he's calling out the superhero's names as he sees them. Wildcat! He enters the mansion. There's a big super brawl going on. The budget's pretty good on this show. So far as the effects go, I think. For something that's going to air on network TV. And the heroes are getting their asses kicked as they die. Luke Wilson calls out their names. Oh, Dr. Midnight. Owl Man. And then the last one standing is Starman. Played by Joel McHale. Who many people will probably know as Jeff Winger from Community. Uh, an actor I really like. And one of the big reasons I decided to try out this show. So yeah, Starman is the only one who's giving up any kind of fight. But he's, you know, struggling all on his own. He gets attacked by a psychic supervillain who he calls out his name Brainwave. And Starman seems to be getting the better of him when a giant icicle shoots out from off screen and impales him in the abdomen. Luke Wilson grabs Starman and tries to pull him out of the mansion. He gets him into the convertible and we get a shot of all the villains. I don't know, they seem kind of interesting. Uh, with the villains, who none of these villains seem famous. I don't think anybody in Stargirl is uh, iconic. One of the villains is Solomon Grundy, who is a famous DC villain, and he's chasing after the convertible, Starman, and Luke Wilson are trying to get away, and they fly into the sky, it's a flying car, uh, but something happens, it malfunctions, it crashes in the woods, and they get out just before the car explodes, and Starman, Joel McHale's Starman, is kind of struggling to his feet, and collapses to the ground, he calls out to his friend, Pat, which is the name of Luke Wilson's character, and he's like, Pat... The JSA, the Justice Society of America, are gone. But someone must carry the torch and continue to be Starman. But not not you, Luke Wilson, because you suck. And this is this is actually this played for comedy. He's like, someone must do it, but not you. You're no good. Oh, yeah, you're right. I'm no good. And I thought, like, oh, this is going to set the tone for the show. It's going to be really irreverent and silly and funny. Well, maybe like a community type of show. Uh, it does not play out that way, at least this episode. And then Joel McHale dies, and I was like, well, is that all the Joel McHale we're getting? Is he just gonna die in the first episode? That'd be pretty big letdown for me, personally. The camera zooms out, and we pan across the city to a small apartment building where a little girl named Courtney is looking out the window awaiting the arrival of her father so she can give him a Christmas present. There's a Christmas song playing in the soundtrack that I don't recognize... Probably, you know, a B-side Christmas song, a little cheaper to license. Anyway, the mom has got to go out, even though it's Christmas Eve. Ah, oh, can you believe it? She's got to go to work. She's got to earn that time and the half. So she's leaving her with the neighbor and the neighbor's kid. But Courtney's not that concerned. She just wants to see her dad, who is apparently late. And so immediately you think like, oh, her dad must be Starman and he just died, right? Ten years later, it's the present day. Courtney is packing up her things getting ready to move out. In this entire scene, an acoustic version of Mbop is playing. And I thought that was an interesting choice to make. I was thinking, well, does this take place in 1998? And that's why that song is playing? Turns out, no. She's on her smartphone in a second. Her friend, the little girl from the other scene, also now grown up, they're teenagers, probably like 17 or 18, comes by to say goodbye to her. She's moving to Nebraska because her mom got a new job. And she's moving there with her new husband, who turns out to be Luke Wilson's character, Pat. 
At that same time, Pat is pulling up in his classic car, which I guess he put back together after being blown up, with his own young son named Mike. Uh, the the son character really sucks. I mean, you know this character. He's like a he's like a little asshole boy who talks to his dad like you know they're drinking buddies and not like a father son relationship. Totally nothing that probably exists in real life, but you know it's the son's Bart Simpson. The child actor is fine. He's just, you know, the writing is rough. But luckily he's not in this episode too much. Courtney, who I should say, is played by Breck Bassinger, who is not anyone I'm familiar with. Sadly, uh, not related to Kim Bassinger. I looked that up. Uh, no relation, unfortunately. She is fine uh, in terms of acting. I think in the scenes that are more subtle, where she's just playing like a regular teenage girl, it's, it's kind of, you know, fine or whatever. But then when she has to go bigger in some of the more action-y scenes, uh, she shines a lot more. She's arguing with her mom, Barbara, who's played by Amy Smart, who's an actress I really like. She's in Road Trip, The Butterfly Effect. She's the lead in that, uh, was a favorite of mine as a kid. So I'm happy to see her. She's the kind of actress that you you would assume would get a lot bigger than she did. But uh, I guess she kind of got bogged down doing different TV shows, none of which I'm really that familiar with. Um, I guess she was in Shameless and in Scrubs, something called Smith. Apparently she was in a bunch of episodes of Robot Chicken. But yeah, I'm a fan. I'm glad she's in here. They're arguing because Courtney doesn't want to go to Nebraska and she also doesn't want to have Pat as a stepdad because she's like, well, I don't want Luke Wilson to be my stepdad. He's a loser. Why couldn't you marry Owen Wilson? But mom's like, listen, it's not his fault that he's got a more talented brother and it's not his fault that we're moving to Nebraska, right? I'm the one who got a new job and he's the one who's making a sacrifice for us. So, you know, maybe don't be such a stereotypical TV teenager about it. Courtney's being super passive aggressive. She's like, sure, mom, it's fine, whatever. They pull out of the driveway and into a driving montage. A very generic pop song that I never heard before is playing. This is already the fourth song in, what, like 15 minutes of TV show. I was really worried they were going to do something that you see a lot in DC movies, especially Suicide Squad, which is like every minute of, of the movie has some kind of licensed music in the background. Luckily, that is not the case for the whole show. Uh, probably they couldn't afford that. They arrive in a small town, Nebraska suburb. The son is initially impressed. He's like the size of the house. Wow, it's a mansion! Because uh, these are city kids, you know, and they're just used to living in small two-room, one-bath box apartments. They walk down the quaint main street of the town. The townies are all super friendly. They're all, everyone's saying hi to everyone else as they walk by. I should say that this is not true to life, at least in my experience. I grew up in a small suburban town. Nobody just walks around saying hi to anyone they don't know. Any times that anyone has ever said hello to me in my life and I didn't know them, I was a bit weirded out. I'm sure that's true of most people. So it turns out this is actually Barbara, Courtney's mom's hometown. And they go to the diner where she met Pat for the first time. And Courtney then, it strikes her to ask, like, Hey, Pat, why were you here in the first place to meet my mom back whenever you guys met? And he's, he dodges the question. Oh, I was looking for something. Later that night, Pat goes down to the basement to look through his trunk full of JSA memorabilia. He leafs through some top-secret files of the show's villains. There's a magician named The Wizard, great name, a psychic named Brainwave, and an Iceman villain named Icicle. Again, this must be comedy because these names are terrible. 
And if that's on purpose, then good. Uh, this was very like the movie Dawn of Justice, where the movie just stops dead. So he, you know, you can look at the other characters who are coming soon. I wonder who this is for. I, I, I assume there are people who are fans of the Star Girl IP. I don't know any. I don't even know the history of this character or this show. I assume this is some esoteric DC property that they're now trying to breathe new life into. Something like Guardians of the Galaxy over in the MCU. He also has a map of the area, and one part of the state is circled and labeled the Blue Valley. Meanwhile, Courtney looks forlornly out her window towards the stars, and after she turns away, a few constellations seem to light up. The next day, Pat drives with Courtney, and he tries to parent her a little bit, trying to relate with her. He's like, oh, you know, I also used to move around a lot, and I know what it's like to miss your friends, and she just shuts him down. She's like, don't try to relate to me, stepdad. Very much a TV stepdad-stepdaughter relationship. I gotta say, uh, a lot of people I know growing up had step-parents, and the relationship was a lot more harmonious than what you see portrayed in movies and television, to say the least. So he drops her off at Blue Valley High, and you know this scene. You don't have to watch the show. You know this scene. She's walking down the hallway. There's various people in their various stereotypical cliques, and she's kind of walking down the center of the hall, holding onto the straps of her backpack. She's dismayed to find out, uh, I don't know, she's getting her picture taken for her ID or something, and the teacher she's talking to is like, oh yeah, we cut the uh, gymnastics program, so maybe you could try out for cheerleading. Those are basically the same, and Courtney's totally disappointed. This is actually a good background for a teenage superhero, gymnastics. Everyone I've ever known who's been a gymnast is, like, totally ripped and cut. So that that right there is already an explanation for why she might be stronger than your average person. Meanwhile, across town, Pat drives to a rundown garage that he's going to reopen. He's buying the property from Larry, the local gym owner who goes by the nickname Crusher. And there's a bit of a comedy relief banter here where Crusher's like, we gotta get you down to the gym because, you know, you're looking a bit like Luke Wilson. We can put some muscle on those bones. And Luke Wilson's like, well, I'm not looking that bad. It wasn't funny. Also, Barbara arrives at her new job, which is an investment firm, I guess, called The American Dream. And she's wowed as she's given a tour of the giant office. Inside, she sees a city councilman meeting with the CEO, and there's no payoff to this or callbacks to this in the episode, so maybe this is foreshadowing for later in the season. In the hallway, uh, in between class, I guess, Courtney is approached by some cool girls, Cindy and Janie, who act like they want to befriend her very aggressively. But as soon as she says she's not interested in being a cheerleader, they totally just drop it. At lunch, Courtney's looking for a place to sit, and a teacher, and this is weird, a teacher who seems to have super speed, and I don't know if Courtney just doesn't notice, or if they're living in a society where having superpowers is somewhat normal. Anyway, super speed teacher's like, why don't you sit over there? And points her to where the breakfast club is eating. There's like a nerdy girl... And a bad boy looking kind of guy, and then a girl who is totally silent the entire scene, are sitting there. They don't get to interact much. Bad boy immediately skulks off. Nerdy girl's friendly enough. But uh, then some jocks come to the table, and they're sexually harassing the quiet girl. They're like, oh, did you send any nude selfies this week or something? Courtney, being the righteous person that she is, attempts to stand up for the quiet girl, and then the jocks grab her phone and start bullying her, but she knocks the lead bully flat on his ass. Uh, but the principal saw her assault him and takes her away, and as she's being led out of the cafeteria, the cool girl Cindy's like, that was my boyfriend, bet. 
So already I'm, t- I'm starting to wonder who is this for? Because like it's not light enough for a really young audience. And it seems to be a little bit too geeky for a teenage audience. But then there's also this kind of high school drama thing going on but then there's a lot of cursing and adult themes so who knows i'm not sure these other cw shows have found their audience maybe this show is for them too i guess so she got detention because she punched the jock and she has to walk home again as she's in the town everyone's saying hi to her you wonder is this just a joke because it's a small country town or are they all weird zombie people and then they're brainwashed that's the way they say hi to people maybe i'm reading too much into it she walks by a diner and she sees a father and daughter eating lunch and looks depressed i should say her performance in these are very good she's you know very good facial acting you can tell exactly what she's going for later at dinner the stepbrother mike is saying oh i had the best day at school i made all these friends to contrast you know the corny didn't make a single friend and already got detention and in a fight on her first day. So it's making her feel worse. And Pat tries again to parent her to console her a little bit. And she storms off, telling him that he should stop trying to replace her dad. So Courtney's angry now. And like all angry teenagers, she wants to be alone. So she goes down to the basement. Okay, forced, but whatever. She goes down to the basement. She kicks one of Pat's trunks. What do you know? It flies right open. And in there, she sees a bunch of pictures of some Golden Age DC heroes. I'm sure if you're a DC fan, you can probably recognize these characters. I can't. I know what the Flash used to look like in the Golden Age. He had, like, a yellow hat, and he looked really stupid. And so that's how I know who these guys are. And they're all standing together around a table with the logo JSA, the Justice Society of America. And I wonder, is that a Golden Age thing? Or is that also a joke? Because, good God... Justice Society of America. You definitely want your superhero name, your superhero team name to be nine syllables long. She also sees some newspaper clippings of Starman with his sidekick Stripesy, and and it is clearly Pat. And alongside him are pictures of Starman, and inside the box is Starman's suit. And as she's looking at the suit, a box behind her starts to glow and shake. She opens it up, and it's Starman's staff from the beginning of the episode. And as she holds it, it starts to envelop itself in light. And she twirls it around a bit. And then it starts to pull her outside. And once they get outside, the torch suspends itself in midair. Much to Courtney's delight, she's able to now vault and swing around it, showing off her gymnastic skills. The torch seems to be responding to each of her movements. And she asks it, are you alive? And at that point, it rips her into the sky. And they fly off into the night. Pat goes downstairs into the basement at the same time and realizes what must be happening. The staff brings Courtney to a 1950s-style drive-in movie theater, which inexplicably enough is showing the Goonies. So again, like, what year is this that teenagers are going to a drive-in movie theater on a Friday night that's playing the Goonies? I have no idea. Uh, maybe this is just a weird thing about this town. They all love... Uh, old movies and they, they uh, teenager high school seniors on a Friday night go to watch them at the drive-in theater. Anyway, the torch brings her there just in time for her to see those same jocks from the lunch scene are bullying some other teenagers in their car. Courtney puts on a bandana and she uses the bladed end of the staff to slash the tires of the bullies. Okay, kind of escalating the situation, but sure. The jocks notice this and begin to attack her and the staff kind of takes point and counterattacks them on its own, with Courtney just kind of standing there confused. One of the jocks attempts to charge her, 
and the staff fires a bolt of light at him. He dodges it, and it goes past him, and it blows up the lead jock's car. And it you know, starts a big fire. So pretty clumsy superheroing right off the bat. Courtney, terrified, flies off on the staff. Before this scene cuts out, the bully is like, looks at the camera, my dad is gonna kill me. And I, there's like a beat there for a laugh, but I mean, that wasn't wasn't a joke. It's just kind of something a teenager character would say to end a scene. Courtney tries to creep back into her house and return the staff to the basement. And Pat tries to confront her, like, what have you been doing with my magic staff? And he turns it around on him, like, what are you doing secretly being some kind of superhero all this time? She tells him what happened with the staff, and Pat is upset and understandably worried for her safety. He explains that this is the cosmic staff, and it has a mind of its own, and it used to belong to Starman of the famous JSA. Courtney recognizes the JSA. She's like, oh, those are the superheroes who all quit ten years ago. And Pat explains, no, actually, they didn't quit. They were all killed saving the world ten years ago on Christmas Eve, which is a eureka moment for Courtney. She says... Wait, ten years ago on Christmas Eve, why, that's the date my dad disappeared. She asks if her mother, Barbara, is aware of all this, and Pat says that he has to keep this information a secret from everyone for their own safety. Courtney compares a portrait of her father, which she keeps in the locket necklace around her neck. She compares that picture with the picture of Starman, Joel McHale, and it looks a little bit similar. She asks why the staff works for her if it's Starman's staff. And Pat doesn't have an answer for her, and so she says, well, I must be the long-last daughter of Starman. And she's comforted by this notion that she was not abandoned by her father, only that he died saving the world, and that's why he couldn't be with her. Pat thinks that this is not possible, because he knew Starman very well, and he did not have a family, and also her father's name, Sam Curtis, is different from Starman's real name, Sylvester Pemberton. Courtney isn't discouraged by this. And she goes upstairs to question her mom about it. Her mom is a bit upset and just tells her directly, your dad was a deadbeat and he abandoned us and he's a lesser man than Pat who is here for us and takes care of us. Cut to a mansion across town in the kind of like smoking room. The lead jock is telling his father what happened. And the dad seems very interested in this part about the staff. The dad forgives him for what happened to the car and sends him away. And then standing up, he uses his telepathic powers to open up a secret compartment of the room where we see the suit belonging to the villain Brainwave. This uh, actor who plays Brainwave, his name is Christopher James Baker. I don't know him for anything. Apparently he was in True Detective. I watched that whole show. I don't remember him. But yeah, um, anyway, he's fine in this. He gives off a lot of um, Neil Patrick Harris vibes. He's like evil Neil Patrick Harris. Back at the house, Pat is sitting on the porch, contemplating all this to himself. When Courtney comes out, a little bit softer in tone now, she's asking him about Starman. Pat explains that originally they were the D-powered duo, Star-Spangled Kid and Stripesy, just kind of like Batman and Robin. But that is until Sylvester somehow got a hold of the Cosmic Staff and became Starman, and they joined the JSA. Courtney and Pat come to a bit of an accord. She agrees to keep his secret so long as he doesn't interfere with her life any longer. Back at the mansion, Brainwave calls another villain, Icicle. I guess this is the lead bad guy, and he thinks that there may be a new Starman in town. Icicle totally doubts this, but warns him, you know, don't make any moves till I get down there. I'm sure it's not Starman, but whatever it is, wait for me. 
Later that night, Courtney is rudely awoken when the staff floats into her room. She yells in surprise, and that brings her mom in. Courtney then has to hide the staff uh, under her bed and pretend like everything's normal to her mom. And she's able to placate her by saying, you know what, I'm going to give Pat a chance from now on. Don't worry, I'll stop being like a total brat. And I'll try now to accept this man who has filled the hole in your heart of the dad who abandoned you and who I've been totally hard on and making the situation much more difficult than it needs to be, right? So that that makes her mom a bit happy. And so she's more willing to just drop whatever surprised her and leave the room. As soon as she's gone, the staff coaxes Courtney out the window. They go flying out into the sky again. On the rooftops of the city square, they're doing some superhero training. And then after that, Courtney's flying on the staff. She looks a bit like Kiki from the Ghibli film, which I enjoyed. But then she suddenly knocks to the ground by some tires that are floating in the sky. She lands outside a warehouse and then is assaulted by the invisible psychic force of Brainwave's telepathy. Brainwave confronts her and he uses his psychic powers to speak directly into her mind and try to search her thoughts. He can sense that she's lonely and that she's self-doubting and he wonders why she's thinking about her father in this moment. The staff strikes him and frees her and he goes flying back and then a bolt of light from the staff sets off an explosion giving Courtney a chance to escape and run out of the warehouse. As she's running through the night, she is headed off by a giant robot, which is actually a transformed version of Pat's classic convertible. And that is the end of the episode. I gotta say, I was pretty disappointed when I saw the poster. I assumed the giant robot would be played by Lou Ferrigno, you know, kind of Iron Giant style. But that is not the case. I was wrong about that. Um, this was okay. This, I mean, this whole, this is an hour long, but it felt like what would be happening in the first 25 minutes of like an late 90s, early 2000s children's superhero movie, except for that there's a lot of adult themes in this show as well. Not bad by any stretch. Not what I expected. I was thinking it was going to be more either a straight drama or just like a screwball comedy based on the cast but it was not that dark nor was it that funny so i guess they're trying to walk some kind of line there you'd think with like joel McHale and luke wilson and lou ferrigno it would be a bit more wacky than it is but i don't know the only funny scene was the one between joel McHale and luke wilson but then he was out of the show quite quickly um unfortunately i thought he would play some side character role like he'd be part of the new jsa or whatever i hope that this is not just a brief cameo anyway i liked this just fine i mean it didn't blow me away nor was it really what i was expecting it's got a real like mediocre vibe to it but at the same time for a show that's going to be on the wb it looks pretty good. Uh, see, I watched a few episodes of the Teen Titans and then I, I, I quickly dropped it because it was just not good. <laughs> uh, that's the only way to put it. Uh, bad writing. Just suffered from terrible writing. Um, I only I only really watched it because I was, as a young kid, a fan of the, the animated Teen Titans show. They did not capture anything that made that show good in this remake. I have no attachment to Stargirl. I literally never heard about it before they announced this show. What I like is the idea of the multiple DC 
timelines and standalone things. I think you're never going to beat Marvel at their own game in terms of this MCU thing. So what they really should just do is alternate timelines and standalone stuff like the Joker is really clever and not adhere to any canon that'll kind of constrain them or box them in, right? They're really free to do anything. If I were in charge of the DCEU, I would be like, do a series on on Injustice where half the Justice League turns evil and they go to war with the other half of the Justice League. That would be interesting to me. But anyway, um, maybe this will just be a one-off or hit me up if you liked, if you thought this was interesting or if you're interested in Stargirl at all, hit me up. I'm at JamesWatchesMen on Twitter. And I think, yeah, I guess I'll maybe I'll do at least the first two or three episodes, see if it picks up when we hear Lou Ferrigno, you know, trying his best to say his lines. Uh, maybe it'll be funnier than that. Lou Ferrigno, if you don't know, he was the original Hulk on the TV show with the iconic sad walking away music. He was also on a particularly hilarious season of The Celebrity Apprentice. I used to watch that with my ex every season of that, and we'd laugh about how stupid and how arbitrary the decisions being made on that show were, and it's uh, it's not so, not so funny anymore. But yeah, this has been the HBO Boys Podcast. I'm James. Uh, catch us next week as we start a whole new movie club and announce the next HBO show we're going to be watching. And then, you know, maybe I'll do Stargirl Episode 2 if this turns out good. All right?